0: And he will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take the staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Thanks, Michael. If you haven't already found your place there, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3 as we continue our study. On exodus and what a what a powerful story is is Brittany shared the the way in which god has has been bringing her through this time of trial and difficulty and that message of even if where we're not sure we don't have that outcome scripted for us we're not sure exactly how it's all going to play out it is exactly what's going on here with moses god Uh, Moses encounters God here in this part of the story. And God is going to call him to to service. God is calling him into action, as it were. And he's telling Moses what, uh, he, he gives him a bit of a snapshot, really more than what we usually get. Of what's going to happen, but it's not going to be seamless. It's not going to be perfectly smooth. There's going to be bumps along the road here as Moses get, prepares to lead God's people out of Egypt. And, I, and I, as, we, as we turn to this story, and, and the title of the message is An Encounter with God, We're going to be reminded that our encounters with God and as God calls us into action, calls us into these times of life where we may not feel equipped, where we may not be uh, excited to go, where we may not be uh, anticipating some of the trials that are going to accompany these callings, we'll recognize that God is present with us in the midst of these times. He's always there. But in these moments we're acutely aware of our need for him of our of our helplessness of our inadequacy for the task at this point in the story god has largely been in the background but now moses is going to meet him and encounter him for the first time in a really powerful and significant way. Remember, we said at the outset, this book is about God. This book is not first and foremost about Moses. It's not even first and foremost about the Israelites being brought out of Egypt. This book is about God and his power to save, his power to bring out of bondage in the means he uses to deliver his children. And so, if you're taking notes and and you want to jot this down uh, in the the blank there, the, the first thought that we're going to see is that Our God is a God who comes near. Our God is a God who comes near. It tells us at the beginning of this text that Moses was out shepherding the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And so Moses was here in the wilderness. He'd been there caring for the sheep of his father in law, he had become a shepherd caring for the flock. It was a common occupation in the ancient Near East, and it's no surprise to find Moses here engaged in such work. But it's interesting that theologically, uh, the the significance of his occupation can't be missed. He's about to become the shepherd of God's people as they're brought out of Egypt. The one who was shepherding sheep is going to shepherd, shepherd and care for people. And it says that He leads the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and they came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this mountain is a a mountain that will be familiar to you if you're familiar with the Old Testament. It's the the name for, another name for the same mountain is Mount Sinai, and it's going to figure significantly into our story here as we walk throughout the, the book of Exodus. But it's a mountain that turns up over and over and over in the Old Testament. It, 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 Horeb literally means desolation, and it's a mountain where God is encountered and where the holiness and transcendence of God is seen in a significant way. But what's powerful here is it, it, it blends God's perfectness, God's majesty, God's might with also his nearness. And, and, and what happens here is that Moses, it says... In verse 2, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame within of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. Now, I'm sure that Moses had seen a lot out there in the wilderness. I'm sure he had encountered a lot of things that left him scratching his head, a lot of things that were surprising to him, a lot of, I've never seen that before. But this one here has to top the list. He sees a bush on fire by itself but it's not being burned up. And, and, and so, of course, he says, I've got to go check this out. I want to get closer. And that's what he says in verse 3. I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? You can hear him kind of sort of saying it to himself. Verse 4 says, when the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And this is where God meets Moses. Notice who initiates it. It's God. God is the one coming to him. God appears to him, comes to him, and the angel of the Lord, and there's a lot we could say about the angel of the Lord, but it's a a long rabbit trail. But God comes here, and and he meets Moses and and initiates the encounter by by calling out Moses' name. He says in verses 7 and 8, The Lord says, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. We hear hear the echoes of what we heard in the end of chapter 2. God sees, he hears, and he comes near our God is a God who doesn't dispassionately observe us from the heavens. He hears our cries. And in this story, we're reminded that He's a God who comes near. We're going to say more about this in a moment, but the second thing, if you're taking notes is that we see that our God is a holy God. In verses five and six, he, God, God says to him, "Do not come closer." So Moses is inching up on this, this phenomena, this, this bush that's on fire but not being consumed. And, and, he says, and God says to him, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All of a sudden, this went from an interesting phenomenon to a place where his heart was struck with fear, where he encounters God in his holiness. This wasn't a a, a fireside chit-chat with the Almighty. God made it clear, listen, you need to take off your sandals. This is a place of reverence. And as soon as God said who he was, as soon as God introduced himself as the God of his forefathers, Moses' heart was immediately struck with fear. He recognized he was speaking to Almighty God. And God sets the mood immediately with a reminder of His holiness. What we're going to see here in this, in this passage and, and throughout the book of Exodus is what theologians call God's imminence and God's transcendence. On one hand, God is imminent. He's He's near to us. He's close to us. He's present. He speaks to us. He he longs for us to draw close to him. But in the same token, he's also a God who is transcendent. He's far and away above us. And and if you get too far off on on one side or the other, you, you you get a distorted picture of God. If you get too far off on the transcendent God is, becomes this this terrible, ferocious being. We don't want to get anywhere near Him. We're, we're fearful constantly of, of judgment. We're fearful constantly of Him snapping. We know that He could strike anyone dead in a moment. This, is, this, is a, this becomes a, a God that you don't want to relate to. You're just afraid and terrified of Him all the time. But if we get far, too far over on His imminence, His nearness... All of a sudden, God just becomes sort of one of the guys, one of the gals, our chum, our buddy, our homeboy, somebody that we just kind of buddy up to and we got our arm around and we're having a good time. And there, there has to be, and, and Scripture presents this. this, it's not a contradiction, but it is a mystery that we have a God who is holy, the same God that we're going to encounter in chapter 19. The God of Mount Sinai, the God who speaks in the thunder, who causes those near to fall down flat on their faces. He is the same God who, who came and, and touched the lepers, the, the same God who, who wants to call us friend. This is indeed a, a mystery. We must be careful to hold the two together. And so God comes in His holiness. He's often referred to in the Old Testament as the Holy One of Israel. God's holiness means that He's radically different from us. He's set apart by His glory for His glory. He's, he's morally pure in every way. What I want to say before we move on about this as well is it's just so important That we come back to Scripture again and again to to know who our God is and what He's like. We don't get to determine that, and that may seem like a no brainer. But I I hear people all the time say things like, "Well, I like to think of God as." Usually, that sentence is followed by some unbiblical heresy. We, We can't we can't make up a God after our own desires. And, and if we really boil it down to what, what kind of God could we come up with? That, that God inevitably becomes, ends up becoming more and more like us and less and less like the God of the Bible. More and more uh, impotent and unable to, to act and intervene in human history and in the hearts of men and women. We must look to the Word of God, not just our own whims, when we seek to know what He's like. The third thing I want to show you this morning from this text is that our God is a God who sends. In, in verse 9 of chapter 3, God's still speaking to Moses here, and he says, So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." What a, what, what, I mean, this is, this is incredible. You see, God is, God is mighty enough to, like, he could have done this without Moses. It would have been a lot easier, it would have been a lot smoother. God could deliver the Israelites without using Moses, but here, he reminds us of something that we, we see all the way throughout Scripture, is that God invites us to participate in what he's doing in and around the world. God is not beholden to us. God's hands are not tied by us. But he longs to invite us into his mission of reconciling the world into himself. And you see it over and over again through scripture. God using judges to bring about deliverance. God working through King David. God later on working through prophets. God working through the the church and, and apostles and missionaries and ordinary average people like you and me to take the gospel forth. Just know that that's not just a New Testament thing. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 that doesn't come out of nowhere. This is the heart of God. He beckons us and calls us into what He's doing in the world. I just want to ask you this morning: How are you involved in that? How are you using your gifts? How has God called you to be an ambassador? There's none of us who who's not called. We're all called to be that mouthpiece in some way. In what way are you doing it this morning? Our God is a God who sends. The fourth thing I want to point out is that our God is a God who is with us, with us. We touched on this already as we mentioned his nearness, but I, I just I love God's promise to Moses in verse twelve. He answered, "I will certainly." Be with you. You see, God knows that we absolutely need His presence if we are out on mission, if we're serving Him, if we're going forth to bear witness to the truth, to do what He's asked us to do. We need Him. We're, we're to borrow words from, a popular love song. We're lost without Him. We're, we're desperate for Him. We, we can't do it without Him. And sometimes we just pay lip service to that. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, God, I'm going to really need you today. And then we just kind of go on like we don't really believe that we need Him. And so God brings us into places where we're reminded how desperately we need Him. So that we'll trust Him. So that we'll rely on Him. And Moses was going to need to know that God was going to be present with him. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 12, that Michael read to to us, as God's getting ready to send him out, and and God adds this. He says, now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. God's presence is a very real and a tangible thing for us. But Moses still doubted whether he could be used by God. Do you ever feel that way? you ever feel like maybe, maybe you're just not that talented, you're maybe not that gifted, Maybe you're where you've been placed in life or the, the, your perceived lack of resources, you, you, you hear something like this that God wants to use you, but you're like, yeah. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the past. Maybe it's things that you've done, things that have happened to you, and we sort of talk ourselves out of being usable by God. I'm too old. I'm too young. I can't talk. I don't have a lot of money. Whatever, we, 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 we find these excuses. And what sounds a little bit like humility, that this here from Moses, is he's gonna, we're going to see that he makes some excuses here. What sort of sounds like humility is actually pride. It, it's, it's in a sense is saying, God, you can't overcome my struggles. You can't overcome my fill-in-the-blank. You can't overcome my past. You can't overcome my weaknesses. You can't overcome my hurt. You can't overcome my lack of ability to speak. You can't overcome the fact that I'm an introvert and I don't like to be around people. Whatever you fill in the blank. It sort of sounds like humility. Well, God, I, I just, I don't know how you could do this with me. But in the end of the day, It's pride cloaked in humility. It's saying, God, you're not big enough to overcome this stuff. If we tear off that cloak, we'll find pride at the core of that. And and, and maybe a little bit of stubbornness on our part. I don't really want to do what you're asking me, God, but I'm going to cloak it in this sort of nice sounding excuse. But at the end of the day, I just just really don't want to go do that. I think that's what Moses was wrestling with a little bit. God... I remember there were times when, um, when my wife and I were getting ready to go to China and we'd go and share some of our ministry at different churches and we'd go speak a little bit. And Inevitably, uh, we would have somebody come up after the service and we would hear things like this, like, oh, God bless you for, for, for going to do something like that. I could never, ever go to a place like that. I could never go here and serve God. And I was trying to be, you know, polite, and a lot of times you know, I mean, I was I was like 22 or 23, and so I was trying to be, you know, deferential to people who were older than me and everything. But a lot of times, I just wanted to say, like, well, well, what kind of God do you serve? Well, like, how special do you think I am? Well, we're just we're just trying to be obedient here. I, I, I got to go try to learn a tonal language when I I I I have no pitch, no I can't sing, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and I got to go try to learn this language with four different tones. You can say, ma, 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 and it means three different things. I'm not adequate for that. Listen, the the sooner that we understand we can't do it, and He can, the sooner we'll be on the path to saying, here, my Lord, send me. And when we can say that, all of a sudden now when God starts doing things, both us and the people around us are like, they're messed up. This must be God because I've seen them in action and this isn't them. And God gets all the glory. That's the way it's supposed to be. But don't tell yourself, don't let other people tell you, you can't do this for God. God. If God calls you, he will equip you. And Moses was struggling with this. I also just have to add this here that the reminder of the presence of God was not simply to give Moses warm fuzzies. Moses was not reminded of God's presence just so he would be like, oh, I love feeling that way. You know, when you hear your favorite worship song or maybe you're in your favorite quiet place, wherever that is, and your heart is warmed by the word of God or, or God's presence in some way, which is a wonderful experience. But the presence of God is never it, it, almost always in Scripture, you can check this out, when, when you when you find God reminding you, reminding his people, I will be with you, it's usually right on the tails of them getting asked to do something impossible. Like Joshua in Joshua 1.5, God says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. If you read that verse by itself, it's like, oh, I Put that on a mug or something. That's, that's so sweet. That's so warming. But you know what he was going to He was telling Joshua, I want you to go wipe out this land and take, take, take captive and, and, and just destroy everything. I'm going to give you this land with your little small untrained military force against all these massive, well-equipped, uh, well-fortified nations. God knew that Joshua would need to be reminded of his presence. Or Gideon. And Judges 6, but I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike down Midian as if it were one man. What was he sending Gideon to do? How many people did did Gideon end up going to take into Midian? 300 against thousands. When he originally had a bigger force and God whittled it down. He's like, I'm going to show you that this is me at work, not you. And God reminded of his presence, not so that Gideon would just be all warm and fuzzy, but so that he would be able to be equipped to go into service. Fifthly, we're reminded that our God is the great I Am. This, this is such a, a powerful passage. I, it, we, could, we could spend a whole message just talking about God is the I am. Verse 13, Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God reveals himself to Moses. As Moses asked, so who's... Who's back in this mission? Who's behind this here? And God says, it's the I am. And and scholars debate over exactly how this should be translated because there's no exact consensus on the translation. It could be, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I create what I create. The, The Hebrew's ambiguous in this text. This is God revealing himself, the, 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 the Hebrew is Yahweh, as you know, the, the personal name of God. And if this is the personal name of God, it makes sense that scholars can't quite figure it out. We can't put, box it out, we can't just come up with a dictionary definition. Moses needed to know he wasn't alone, and God reveals himself as the I Am, probably part of it includes the idea of God's self-existence. I am. I'm, I'm here. I don't depend on anybody for my existence. I am who I am. But there, it goes deeper than that. I, I believe. I think, I think the author's building on God's promise to be with Moses. And I think it's not merely the existence of God that is to encourage Moses, but the fact of his active and committed presence to help his people. A lot of scholars believe that, that, that God's name Yahweh, the I Am, is tied to His, his, his existing presence at all times with His people. One, one writer says this, In every place and at every point in time and in every circumstance or need, He is the God of the flame that needed no outside nourishing, bursting with His own superabundant vitality would be there. And not because he'd been invited or called upon, but by his own will and fulfillment of his own nature as the God whose name is I Am, and who allows his people to know him as he is. I want you to know this morning that no matter what you're going through, what challenges or trials or decisions or what you've been called into by God's power to what ministry He's calling you into. He is. He is powerful. He is the self-existent one, but He is the one who is there. He is the one who is behind you. He is the one who is present with you, and He's the one who's gone before you. He is there. And Moses would need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. That our God longs to come near to His people and remind us of His presence. God was setting Himself over and above the gods of Egypt, the ones who needed man to define them who needed mankind to sustain the stories about them, to come up with the stories about them. And God was going to demonstrate through the, uh, the, the plagues that we're going to see in, in a couple weeks that, that He was the God who is, that He was the God who is above all. He's the God who is present. The last thing I want to point out here this morning is that our God is so patient with us. Our God is so patient with us. I mean, even after all of these promises, I mean, Moses got the burning bush. That's like, that's like in the top five children's Bible stories of all time. And Moses got to be the one who's there. He got, to, he got to hear the voice of God. He was so close that he had to take his, his sandals off because he was in the presence of a holy God. And this God clearly delineated his mission. And furthermore, personally, with his audible voice, said, I will be with you. And for the first time, as far as we know in human history, revealed his personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh. Moses got all of that. And we come to Exodus 4.13. Please, Lord, send somebody else. (laughs) And we shake our heads. We laugh. We think, what a fool. Come on, Moses. Get with the program. You and I, I, I don't have to say it. We've been there a hundred, a thousand 10,000 times. We know God's Spirit is calling us into something. We know an act of obedience that we're supposed to do. We know a sin that we're supposed to turn away from. And we still, I don't want to do that, God. I know what you said, I know what your word says, but I just don't want to do that right now. I know your Spirit's leading me to share the gospel with this coworker. I know you're calling me to turn off the TV or put down my phone and and spend some time in the Word with my family. I I just don't want to do that. Whatever it is. and (laughs) We have something that Moses didn't. We have the Spirit of God within us. He had God coming from a bush. Not to downplay that. Amazing. Cool. Top five Bible story. But we have God Himself dwelling within us, my brothers and sisters. This is not child's play. This is, this is not some second-rate opportunity and privilege we have. This was a privilege that none of the Old Testament saints know. This is the kind of stuff that, uh, I think it's Peter who says, the angels long to look into these sorts of blessings. They're leaning over the edge of heaven, trying to understand what it's like to have God within us. 2 Peter 1 3 says, We're partakers of the divine nature. What is that? And yet, all too often, we say, Please, Lord, send somebody else. What's really interesting, and I I just add this as a side note, because I think this all the time I think I would be more obedient, God, if I had a burning bush. You know what I mean? I would be more obedient, God, if I had a burning bush. I pull into the church here, and we, I don't, know, we don't have a lot of shrubs right here, but like, uh, there's a, a, a fire from like, the dumpster or something. And I'm like, well, there's, go in there. There's nothing in there. There's nothing to burn. What's going on here? And I hear a voice giving me clear instructions about what I'm supposed to do. And I think, God, if you gave me that, game over. I would do whatever you say. It's a piece of cake. I'd even take some notes so I don't forget. I mean, how many of us have thought that? What's crazy here in this story thus far is that in the first chapter, you have these midwives who have no burning bush and are risking their lives to be obedient to God, to do what they know He wants them to do, even though He's not audibly said, save the babies and I'll take care of you. They just know that it was right for them to lie and and save those babies, do whatever they can to protect those. They they knew it was right, and they risked their lives to do it with no audible voice, and they stepped out and were obedient to God. And you got Moses here who got the bush, the burning bush, clear plans, and he's like, nah, send somebody else. Irony, defined. So often we're there. We feel like we would be so much more obedient if we just had a burning bush. And God says, I've given you my word. I dwell within you through my Holy Spirit. What more do you want? You know your marching orders. Go into all the world and make disciples. How could I be clearer? I've given you the command. I've given you my presence. And I've given you the power. Now go. My brothers and sisters, um, let me just finish with this. Let's go. Let's go. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, dig in the Word of God. Pray with some godly people. Ask Him to reveal what you're supposed to be doing. There's some really clear things. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, there's some really clear things in, in Scripture. Show honor to one another. Be holy. As I've, There's some really clear things in, in Scripture. But as you're searching for more specifics, ask God to reveal that to you. Spend time in prayer with brothers and sisters in Christ. And God's Spirit will guide you and lead you in that. But here's the thing. Spoiler alert, we're going to blow it. Okay? We... We're still human beings with a sinful nature, and, and we're going to blow it this week. We're, we're going we're to know that we're supposed to do something, and we're going to weasel out of it. We're going to know that we're not supposed to do this certain thing, or say this certain thing, or think this certain thing, and we're still going to do it. And here's the thing. <laughs> Our God is so patient with us. Our God is so gentle with us. And I want you to know this morning, in case you feel like a little bit like Moses, and maybe you feel like you've said one too many times... Um, God, I don't want to. God, send somebody else. Just know that you have not said that too many times. Just know that you have not exhausted the patience and the kindness of God. His forbearance, His gentleness, His goodness, like David said in Psalm 23, pursues me all the days of my life. Yes, there will be consequences. Yes, there can be repercussions. But know that there is no exhausting his forgiveness and his patience and kindness. And so he sends Aaron. He provides Aaron. He knows that Moses needs to do this. And Moses finally is like, okay. And God graciously allows Aaron to come along. And we'll see next week what God does as they begin to go forward in obedience. If you've blown it, if you've ignored what he's called you to do, repent and move on. Move on in the power of the Spirit. Don't wait for a burning bush. Don't wait for the fireworks in and, and the, and the, the audible voice. Listen to Him as He speaks through His Word, and then go forth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that as we encounter You through Your Word, that we would listen, we would be obedient, and we'd be faithful. And I pray that we would be reminded of, in those moments when we're not that Jesus Christ has been perfectly faithful and perfectly obedient when we weren't. And because He is our substitute, because He is the perfect Lamb of God who has borne our sins, we can go forth in newness and freeness and freedom just resting in His finished work. God, I, I just thank You for Jesus Christ. And I thank you today that through what he's done, your spirit dwells within us. And I pray that we would listen to you and that we would move forward in obedience. Thank you for the truth of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now the Lord is faithful, who will strengthen you and keep you from the evil one. Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love God has for you and into the steadfastness Christ gives you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. You're dismissed.